The prospective client I was traveling to meet was a woman named Selma Newquist, whose husband, I was told, had died sometime within the past few weeks. Dietz had done work for this woman in the past, helping her extricate herself from an unsavory first marriage. I didn't get all the details, but he alluded to the fact that the financial goods he'd gotten on the husband had given Selma enough leverage to free herself from the relationship. There'd been a subsequent marriage, and it was this second husband whose death had apparently generated questions his wife wanted answered. She'd called to hire Dietz, but since he was temporarily out of commission, he suggested me. Under ordinary circumstances, I doubted Mrs. Newquist would have considered a P.I. from the far side of the state, but my trip home was imminent and I was heading in her direction. If she didn't want to hire me, all I'd be out was a 30-minute break in the journey. I reached Nota Lake, population 2,356, elevation 4,312, in slightly more than three hours. The town didn't look like much, though the setting was spectacular. Mountains towered on three sides, snow still painting the peaks in thick white against a sky heaped with clouds. I stopped at a service station and picked up a one-page map of the town, which was shaped like a smudge on the eastern edge of Nota Lake. The prime businesses seemed to be clustered along the main street in a five-block radius. I did a cursory driving tour, counting 10 gas stations and 22 motels. The address I'd been given was on the outskirts of town, two blocks off the main highway in a cluster of houses that looked like they'd been built by the same developer. The streets in the area were named for various Indian tribes. Selma Newquist lived on a cul-de-sac called Pawnee Way, the house a replica of its neighbors. Frame siding, a shake roof with a screened-in porch on one end, and a two-car garage on the other. I parked in the driveway beside a dark Ford sedan. I locked the car from habit, climbed the two porch steps, and rang the bell. The woman who came to the door was in her late 40s with a small, compact body, brown eyes, and short, dark, tousled hair. She was wearing a red, blue, and yellow plaid blouse over a yellow pleated skirt. Hi, I'm Kinsey Milhone. Are you Selma? No, I'm not. I'm her sister-in-law, Phyllis. My husband, Macon, was Tom's younger brother. We live two doors down. Can I help you? I'm supposed to meet with Selma. I should have called first. Is she here? Oh, sorry. I, I remember now. She's lying down at the moment, but she told me she thought you'd be stopping by. You're that friend of the detective she called in Carson City. Exactly, I said. How's she doing? Selma has her bad days, and I'm afraid this is one. Tom passed away six weeks ago today, and she called me in tears. I came over as quick as I could. She was shaking and upset. I gave her a Valium. I can come back later if you think that's best. No, no, I'm sure she's awake, and I know she wants to see you. Why don't you come on in? Thanks. I followed Phyllis across the entrance and down a carpeted hallway to the master bedroom, in passing, I allowed myself a quick glance into doorways on either side of the hall, garnering an impression of wildly over-decorated rooms. Phyllis knocked on the door. Selma, hun, are you decent? It's this lady detective from Carson City. I started to correct her and then thought better of it. I wasn't from Carson City, and I certainly wasn't a lady, but then what difference did it make? Through the opening, I caught a brief impression of the woman in bed a pile of platinum blonde hair framed by the uprights on a four-poster. Apparently, I'd been invited in because Phyllis stepped back, murmuring to me as I passed, I have to get on home, but you're welcome to call me if you need anything. 
I nodded my thanks as I moved into the bedroom and closed the door behind me. I said, sorry to disturb you, but Phyllis said it would be okay. I'm Kinsey Milhone. Selma Newquist, in a faded flannel nightie, pulled herself into a sitting position and straightened the covers, reminding me of an invalid ready to accept a bed tray. I estimated her age on the high side of 50, judging by the backs of her hands, which were freckled with liver spots and ropey with veins. Her skin tone suggested dark coloring, but her hair was a confection of white blonde curls like a cloud of cotton candy. She reached for her cigarettes, groping on the bed table until she had both a cigarette pack and lighter. Her hand trembled slightly as she lit her cigarette. Why don't you come over here, she said. She gestured toward a chair. Push that off there and sit down where I can see you better. I moved her quilted robe from the chair and placed it on the bed, pulling the chair in close before I took a seat. She stared at me, puffy-eyed, a thin stream of smoke escaping as she spoke. I'm sorry you had to see me this way. Ordinarily, I'm up and about at this hour, but this has been a hard day. I understand, I said. Smoke began to settle over me like the fine spray from someone's sneeze. 